Hi guys, welcome back to Giant Talk, the world's first OKR podcast. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Tim Calderhead, a consultant here at There Be Giants. Tim has a background in leading transformational change and he's also a star in our YouTube video series. Check out our channel if you're yet to do so. Today, Tim and I are going to talk about how you can get the best possible chance of success when delivering OKRs into your organisation. Welcome to Giant Talk, Tim. It's great to have you with us for today's episode. Please can you introduce yourself to the listeners? Absolutely. Thanks, Carly. Hey, everybody. Like Carly says, uh, I've got a background in leading change delivery, uh, in particular with identifying and delivering improvements to, to process and the way that people work. Um, I've worked in a few different industries and learned loads of different tools that a person can use when delivering change. Um, But for the YouTube series, like you said, Carly, I've been focusing on McKinsey's four corners of influence model. Um, And I've used those to talk about OKRs specifically. Thank you for the intro. So let's dive straight in and introduce, as you said, the four corners of influence. Can you briefly explain what this model is and how it's used? Sure. So the model describes four different ways to deliver cultural change or any sort of change within an organisation. In their original paper, McKinsey described three different levels of change, but with this one being the most complex. It's a method of helping deliver really deep-rooted cultural change, not just the high-level stuff that doesn't require any sort of mindset adjustments, uh, like a new system that's just tweaks to the way that people achieve a particular task. Um, So going down into that in a little bit more detail, in order to achieve that change of mindset, uh, there are four things that need to be provided. So the first is understanding and conviction. So the, the why behind the change. The second is reinforcement mechanisms. So that's making sure that you're enabling and also rewarding the new behavior. Third is developing talent and skills. So that's can people actually do what you're asking them to do? And then finally, there's role modeling. So that's do do people see others in their organization at any level acting in the same way? Um, It's a little bit different to the change management model that people might be more familiar with. So that's Cotter and his eight stages. Um, although there are definitely some similarities between the two. Um, That model is generally used for much bigger transformational change, whereas the four corners can be used for all sorts of different size projects. Thank you. So let's dive into the model a little bit, a little bit more. So it makes sense to start with the very first corner, understanding and conviction. What does this mean? Sure. So For today's conversation, Carly, let's pretend that I'm a transformation manager trying to deliver OKRs into a company that sell bicycles. Uh, Just a made up example, Mm -hmm. just to give us a bit of something concrete to help me explain and also allow our listeners to imagine the tools being put to practical use. So for understanding and conviction, the understanding is explaining uh, what OKRs are, so what the letters stand for. you know, I'll struggle to get people on board if they don't even understand some of this really basic stuff. Um, but then going into a deeper level, it's also being able, able to articulate what the new vision of the future that I'm trying to deliver is. So for my bike company, in this example, I might say that the new vision of the future that I've got and I'm trying to deliver is a company that's more agile and more aligned, that embraces failure as part of the way that things are done, intelligent failure here. Um, And the OKRs are going to be the way that we're going to achieve that. 
So that's really being able to say, this is where we want to get to, and this is how we're, and then moving into, this is how we're going to get there. And it just helps people understand um, and and have a more sort of deep-rooted understanding as to what we're trying to achieve. The, the next bit, conviction, is a bit trickier. So this is a lot more of the why behind the change we're trying to deliver. Um, it also needs to make sense to anybody who hears it um, and also has to align with your overall company objectives or vision. So for delivering OKRs into my bike company, I might share um I, I might share all of the reasons that OKRs can be beneficial here. So I talked about alignment, I talked about agility, but also other things like reducing siloed working or uh, improving transparency as well. Um, this is all especially important if any of these have been an issue in the past as well. So not only do those who hear the reason why have a better understanding of what OKRs are and what they can do, but they'll also know that they're there to solve very particular problems, very tangible problems that they might have had in the past as well. Um, I think that this one, understanding conviction, is the first in the list for a reason. Uh, if you don't have, if you don't have this, if you don't have people understanding what's going on, where what we're trying to achieve, where we're trying to get to, and the conviction as to why, you really struggle to get any momentum of any sort in the subsequent corners. Yeah, and I think as you've mentioned um, in the first video in the YouTube series, it's definitely worth the time and effort at this stage. There could be people that and most likely will be people in the organization that have never heard of OKRs at all. So um I think at this stage, communication, communication, communication is, is definitely, definitely key. Absolutely. So moving on to the second corner, reinforcement mechanisms. What does this mean in, in relation to OKRs? Sure. So it covers quite a lot of stuff, the reinforcement mechanisms. Um, it, it talks about things like processes and procedures, making sure that those sorts of things and the way that people do their job are designed to allow people to work in this new way and are unobstructed in, the, in working in this new way. So for OKRs, it might be as straightforward as having access to a dedicated piece of OKR software that's visible to anybody who needs it and not holding your OKRs on a spreadsheet that only one person ever has access to and you know, they're, they're in the company one day a month, for example. Um, it also covers things like reward and recognition, which we know can be a particular tricky thing in OKRs. So uh, I'm not saying here about linking your OKRs to your reward and compensation packages, but making sure that your appraisal review processes, you know, HR documentation are all at least updated to reference OKRs and that they're not completely separate and last showing that they were updated in 1999. <laughs> um, if you've got people who have put loads of effort into trying to use OKRs to get them off the ground, to really work with them and experiment, the last thing you want to do is to ignore all of that effort at the end of the year when it comes to review season. Um, you know, that's the HR equivalent of pouring a bucket of water on a blazing furnace. Um, 
for my bicycle company example, I would make sure I would have a good OKR tool in place that had training available. And we'll talk a bit about training later on. Um, updated all of my HR documentation to reference OKRs and to ensure that those who take part in the project can at least uh, show their contribution as part of their end of, view, end of year review evidence, for example. So yeah, that's reinforcement mechanisms. It covers a, a massive amount of stuff, but it's yeah, um, yeah it, it's it's just as important as any of them, even though it's so broad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think also as part of, part of that um, reinforcement mechanism, I was just thinking as as he was going through them was having regular check-ins are very important as well as opposed to you know waiting longer and longer and, and you know not catching up about your OKRs until two months down the line for example so I think um that's obviously another, another key bit of that reinforcement so moving on to the next corner so we're at the third corner now developing talent and skills how can this help an organization implement OKRs yeah. So in in some experiences I've had of of projects, uh, this this one providing training, developing training, um, is usually a, a bit of a mad dash in the final few weeks before launch, where there's a sudden realization that there isn't any sort of training ready or available for people. And when we're talking about something as as large as OKRs, we we can't be we can't be doing that. So. You know, imagine a situation where you're having to, and this is another analogy here, but uh, imagine sitting the driving test and never having taken any sort of lesson before. You you absolutely wouldn't wouldn't be doing that. And the same goes for asking people to do something new at work. You've got to you've got to got to got to be providing people with skill and the opportunity as well to behave in the new way that you're asking them to. Um, you will find that some people will absolutely relish the opportunity to learn something new and you should tap into that excited resource as much as possible. Um, there'll be some people inevitably who aren't too fussed about doing training. They'll learn as they go, but you know, at least giving them access to training for as and when they need it is, is also going to be really important. So to go back to my bike example, um, I need everybody who's involved to be able to take part in the writing process for their objectives and key results. But how? Uh, I need to think about the different types of training available, whether that's classroom, physical classroom or, or e-learning, for example. Um, and how does that align with our usual way of providing training in the organisation? So what sorts of things do we normally do? How can we link in with that? How does it align with our existing L&D processes uh, and in particular with onboarding as well? So if we've got new people joining the company, how do we make sure that they are informed and updated on OKRs as soon as they join the business, especially if it's something that's new to them as well? So if you're working in a, a large or even a medium organization, you probably have access to some sort of L&D team. So uh, it's really key that you work with those guys there to make sure that they are involved from the very start. Those teams are normally very busy and making sure that they're involved from the very beginning to help craft your L&D strategy for delivering OKRs is going to be really, really vital and not just a, oh, can you pull something together? It's launching next week. <laughs> Um, you know, pull together with this training and stuff. So um, you might also want to develop a a much deeper level of OKR knowledge within your organisation as well. So 
things like OKR coaches or masters to help facilitate the process in the long term as well. Um, that sort of thing naturally takes time. So it's definitely got to be thought about and prepared for in advance. Um, you can't you can't make someone into an OKR master in, in a week or a fortnight. So it's I'm going to keep on going on about the fact that this has got to be planned mm-hmm. at the very beginning. Your training plan has got to be uh, has got to be a key part of your overall project planning. And it's yeah, no different for OKRs here. Yeah, I think don't underestimate the time that it can take I think, for people to um, understand OKRs, especially when it comes to, to crafting OKRs and looking at key results. But I think it definitely pays off um, and ensures that long, longevity and momentum. And you actually took the thoughts out of my mind because I was thinking um, about OKR coach, you know, having those we recommend at least one, but but more if possible. It depends on the size of the organisation. But um, having an OKR superstar or, or champion in your organisation, those that are, you know are there to to encourage others, and I think um, champion them and keep that momentum going. I think it's really important. There are various resources out there, of course. You know, there's free guides around and blogs and articles around helping you you craft OKRs um, and things like that. But definitely, if you're looking for some extra training, I think something like a coach course is um, highly valuable. Absolutely. We, we know that there is so much literature out there beyond this model about how people learn and how people take on new information and knowledge. Um And really, you've got to be working with your organization's general culture when it comes to how people learn and and do new things. Some companies move really quickly in terms of being able to develop and take on new training. And some some companies are a lot more structured and methodological, making sure that you also build this training into overall talent and progression and development planning is also going to be really key as well. Um, don't let it just sit as a, a as a PDF on your LMS. Make sure it's really, really deeply structured into your um, your talent planning and your talent development within your organisation. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And you touched on it a little bit before as well about um, you know whether it's e learning or workshops or um, you know different styles of learning available and resources. Um, and yeah, and, and, and the good thing that our coach course for example um has is that it's a mixture of e-learning to begin with and then we have um you know online zoom workshops so it kind of hits both of those learning styles as well which is which is important Mm -hmm. so finally on to the final corner of the four corners of implements which is role modeling so how can good role modeling help an organization to deliver okrs um, so role modeling is a really interesting one. And I think it's one that people can quite easily misunderstand. So um, I try to explain it using a bit of an analogy. So if I go somewhere unfamiliar, like a different country, for example, and I'm not particularly sure how to act in a particular situation, then I'll usually look out for someone who I think is a local and knows what they're doing to make sure that I don't do the wrong thing. And um, in that situation, that person or group of people are a role model 
So in the same vein for work, if we're asking people to do something new, people will feel that similar sense of unfamiliarity need to look for a role model to do a few things. So first is to lead the way on a particular behavior and show and demonstrate how something uh, can and should be done. Um, but also to provide a level of encouragement as well, that it's acceptable to behave in this particular way, especially if that behavior is new. Um, it's really important also to highlight here that I've not so far mentioned anything about seniority mm -hmm. role models don't have to be the most senior person in your company we're not going to be going straight to the ceo or the board and go it's you guys all or nothing have to role model the behavior um that group definitely helps don't get me wrong but role models in an organization in any company come in all shapes and sizes um but they have to be people who are able to um, walk the talk, to you know, use a phrase that people like, and to lead the way for a new behaviour that you're asking others to follow. Um, it has to be a very public behaviour, as well as something that hopefully is believed privately as well. You can't have someone doing one thing in front of a big group of people, and then maybe when they're in a, a slightly more uh, private or intimate setting at work with a, you know, a handful of people or their team, um, that they're saying something totally different. It has to be consistent, whether it's a large or a small group that they are in front of. So come back to my bike company um what i could do and i've seen done in other places is to create something like a culture shapers community for example so that could be a group of uh, role models so particularly influential people uh, across the organization um or even one person from um any team who's involved in okrs that can act as a role model um potentially act as a coach as well but they don't need to be a coach mm -hmm. and just be there to lead the way for everybody else they don't necessarily need to be a, an expert they just have to be someone who um if there is any sort of unfamiliarity or uncertainty about how to behave that people can look towards for uh, for that certainty for that encouragement to understand how they can behave and what they can what they can do and eventually um with that the the role models you, you eventually don't need them because the culture that you create through those role models eventually begins to self-perpetuate and people self-correct as well once the behavior that you are trying to instill in your in your culture in your company eventually just becomes the way that things are done normally yeah and so, i think that's oh sorry tim no, that's it that's that's me <laughs> <laughs> and i think that's a really good point that you mentioned about having a sort of lead that doesn't have to be an okr coach mm. but it's someone there that you know people can sort of call upon or if they need a bit of um, clarity or and it could be the overall OKR lead that you know creates those check-ins those regular check-ins um, but that doesn't necessarily have to be a trained mm -hmm. OKR coach but it's good to have those um, in the business and as you said until it becomes um, the norm and, and there's, yeah. there's much more awareness around and yeah. it's, it's the cultural norm yeah. Yeah. around using OKRs. If, if I think back to a company that I, I worked at a little while back, um, they were the wider company was trying to introduce uh, a new set of values. So it was something totally new and it was ways of behavior that they wanted to encourage and instill across the entire organization. And um, so you had 
at least one person from every sort of wider department, but hopefully more than that, acting as the, I can't remember exactly what the phrase was, but something like a champion who would go and sit in team meetings and provide, uh, be the person who would provide updates on the project, answer questions. Um, they would have to know quite a lot of stuff off by heart. So we would sometimes sort of teasingly test them on, you know, what other values, can you explain what they mean? Um, and that person would provide an update at every team meeting we attended. And it only needed to be that for about six months or so. But eventually with that person in the team helping us go on that way, maybe running some fun activities as well, running some running some testers and just get, getting people involved, it really helped instill that new culture that we wanted because it didn't feel the change that was happening, this cultural transformation, it didn't feel like it was something that was just being communicated to us by the CEO on email or through the intranet. It was actually very real. It was someone on my team mm. who, was, who I was interacting with directly. So yeah, that's a really good example of role modeling that I see that had a had a really strong and positive impact. Yeah. And I think champion um is a good is a good mm. name for them. Um mm. if that's what they were called, or if not, I would um yeah, we definitely use the word OKR champions quite a lot. And I think it yeah. fits really well with what you're trying to do. Yeah. So it sounds like a great model. Um and it's good to go through um mm. each corner in turn. But I'm just gonna play devil's advocate here. Mm. Do you see any flaws with this model when it comes to implementing OKRs? Yeah, I think the main one is that, like any model, it should absolutely be used as a as a guide and uh, and a jumping off point. Um, it's a really good starting position to think about how you're going to deliver change um, of any size, but it's not a be all and end all. So it's it's one that I like. I picked it because there's own there's four parts to it. It's fairly straightforward to communicate. It's not too difficult to understand. Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely more to it that you could go into referencing other models that we've talked about or even haven't talked about. Um, the other thing I think is that um, because OKRs might not be used across your entire company, especially if your company is really large, mm. then you've you've got to make sure that you adjust your approach depending on what you're trying to achieve. So some of the things that I've talked about today that we've talked about, Carly, um, things like updating HR documentation, processes, um, you know, senior management on, or, or management at, or people at any level, role modeling, you've got to make sure that you are really late are focused in who and what and how that is done to make sure that it's it's not sort of bleeding out across parts of the business that you don't need it to to spread into. Mm. So that's one thing just to be just to be mindful of as well. I think the the flip side to that is that the the the, the worst thing that could happen if it does begin to spread across your organization is that you have more people becoming interested in OKRs and wanting to be involved. And that's not the worst thing in the world. Um, you know, that's just uh that's just culture doing its thing and becoming the the way that things get done in a particular organization. So if nothing else, you prove your case or you, that, that proves your case that OKRs are working and that they're spreading across the organization. And it's the way that people want to work. So um but I definitely think there is a um not necessarily a flaw, but just something for people to be mindful of when they're going through this um yeah this this planning piece for delivering OKRs. Yeah. And I guess like with any model, it's uh, it's sort of 
about slightly adapting it to to your organization depending on you know like you said the amount of people involved in OKRs um and the size of your organization but we it's definitely not a bad thing for for more people to be interested and, and wanting to be be involved in OKRs yeah we yeah. we need more of those mm. so just to finish on, do you have any other comments or pieces of advice for, for any organisations that are looking to implement OKRs to, to an organisation that is new to them, um, You know, whether it's anything to add to the model or, or aside from that, just in general? I think that, so the first thing to say is that almost every um, book or article or anything that I've read about change management tends to start off with this sort of big, scary headline of, you know, 80% of transformation efforts fail, you know, 60% of attempts to change culture don't work. And whilst that might be true in some cases, and I'm not going to be sitting here and doubting those statistics, I think it makes this sort of thing sound a lot more difficult than it really needs to be. Um, the main thing here is to, and I've been saying this all along today, is don't think about your change management as something that could be done a week or two before you're ready to deliver and you've done all of the other stuff. You've really got to make sure that the change delivery and the planning um, is the, the main structure and framework driving your delivery forward. Um, to make sure that you give your project as much chance of success as possible. So if we look at the four corners that we've talked about, so understanding and conviction, formal mechanisms, talent and skills, role modeling, all of that stuff is, uh, is things that should be thought about from the very, very beginning of your project and should absolutely be driving what you're doing about delivering OKRs, not just, uh, oh, well, oh, we've got a week to go. We've got to start talking to people about why you've got to be doing that from the very, very beginning. And it will only make your project better as well. Don't think of it as, oh, it's too hard. We've got to be doing it for the sake of it. Thinking about these questions that are on there um, and the things we've talked about today will just make your project better. So yeah, that's my main piece of advice for anyone listening today. Thank you. And and yeah, you, you've mentioned planning a few times, obviously um, reiterating the importance that careful planning is is very important it, you know it's it's not an overnight process it's, you know, it doesn't happen at the flick of a switch so um so yeah careful planning beforehand absolutely thank you tim for joining me for an episode of giant talk it's been great to chat to you about the four corners of influence and to delve a little bit deeper into each of those corners and thank you to our listeners for joining us for an ep- another episode of giant talk as always, if you have any feedback or if you want to chat, please do get in touch by emailing us at growth at Thank you.